Today on the Vergecast, we'll get into all things WWDC, a redesigned MacBook Air, the new features coming to iOS and the Mac, and Eli explains why he thinks the CarPlay features coming might actually be vaporware. And at the end, we'll talk about the Xbox TV app news and whether or not this is Microsoft's game streaming dream finally coming to reality. That's all coming up right after this. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Rogecast, the flagship podcast of Drag and Drop, the technology that you thought you knew, but which the richest company in the world demoed as though it was a startling innovation in 2022. That's the tagline <laughs> for Drag and Drop. It's the Drag and Drop Alliance actually put out a press release. I'm your friend, Eli. David Pierce is here. Hi, I'm your friend who will always remind you that Command Tab exists, and that's actually just the best way to move around your computer. <laughs> that's very true. Alex Trans is here. Hey, Alex. I'm still just thinking about Drag and Drop Alliance. Like, who all is in it? There's got to be one. <laughs> it's like a pop punk band that I would very much listen to. There's someone has got to, like, have tried to form an industry coalition about drag and drop. Yeah. But there was one for plugging in USB stuff into Windows, and Microsoft was very proud of it. And I don't remember what it was called because, it honestly, that was I drank that information away. It, that was in my <laughs> 20s. It's, it's gone now. You don't need it anymore. They don't need it anymore. If it wasn't called the Plug and Play Alliance, it should have been. So I think we can just we can just go with that. <laughs> Lots of news this week. Dave and I were at WWC in person, which was very fun. We'll talk all about that. There's some gadget news. There's a new Taco Bell that's on this list for some reason. <laughs> there actually is a bunch of Xbox news. We're doing game streaming on Samsung TVs. We've got to talk about all that. I want to start by just saying something uh, very cool. This is our 500th Friday episode of the Vergecast. So we've, Alex has done mini series and all this other stuff, but Friday episodes, the Vcast classic. Uh, this is episode 500, which is kind of incredible. It's crazy. Thank you all for listening for over 10 years. If you were with us from like the Engadget podcast, like 15 years of this podcast, which is crazy to think about. I drank wow. most of those memories away too. <laughs> but thank you all for listening. We've got like big upgrades for the Vergecast in store. We're very excited about them. We're not ready to talk about them, but I would say in the next couple of weeks. Soon. We, we, Soon. We've got some ideas that are coming and we're excited to share them all with you. I think it's going to be a, a good time, but it's episode 500 of uh, the Friday Vergecast classic. The upgrade is you're only going to be able to download it from the Windows App Store <laughs> on a Surface RT. And you can drag it from one place to another. <laughs> Seamlessly drag it from one, one display to another. But yeah, it's been, I would say the show 
we launched the entire verge off the back of this show. Yeah. We brought that audience over and the, for the folks who've been there the whole time with us, that's incredible. For the folks who've joined us over the years, it's a pretty fun show to do. It's a pretty great community. So thank you all for listening. Okay. Now get out of here. <laughs> the We're going to talk about computers. <laughs> it's like my, my dad instincts at like uh, expressing affection <laughs> kick in. It's like, now get out of here. <laughs> Go make some money. Let's talk about WWDC. Broadly, David, I, 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 we talked a little bit. It was great to be there in person. I know there was like a lot of dunks about Apple brought us all out there and then we watched a video. Like, yes, that's just like inherently optically silly that that occurred. But it's not like during a live WWDC, like I was raising my hand and being like, uh, Tim, number of questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, It's always a presentation. I mean, in a funny way, you could actually argue it was better to watch the video live, like actually being there than sometimes it has been in the past to sit in the audience because there are a lot of things that like when they do those AR demos, that's always my favorite when it's just like a person walking around on stage with yeah. their iPad to be on the stream. You can see what they're looking at and you, they cut around and it looks sort of cool. We're just watching a person wander around a stage looking at an iPad. <laughs> and so, yeah. so they, it, it definitely was like we flew to Cupertino to watch a video, but a, that's only like a small part of what WWDC actually is. And B like, the vibes were just so good. People were so happy to like be around these people again. It was actually at Apple Park in the spaceship in their like huge, gorgeous cafeteria, which was really cool. It was just, I don't know, it was it was fun to be back, I think, in part just because it was fun to be back. But also like they yeah. did the event pretty well, I thought. They did a good job. Uh, David kept describing the vibe as the first day of summer camp. It was. Like, everyone was just happy to be outside together, right? And then, like, the point is, like, not the presentation. The point is, afterwards, we got to hold the computers in our hands. And I saw Phil Schiller and Greg Joswiak. And Tim Cook walked in. Like, he was Ariana Grande, surrounded by security. And everyone got very quiet. <laughs> you know, like, it was just a very strange moment. Uh -huh. Like, first there was clapping, and then there was a dead hush. And it's like, is he going to like the MacBook Air? And he, you know, he went and looked at it as though he'd never seen it before. What if he just thrown it to the ground? It would be amazing. Like an amazing troll would be like, if he was like, what is this? <laughs> well, that's kind of what it felt like. Because normally he used to have Johnny Ive who would like give him the tour of Apple products. But this time he just sort of walked around by himself being like, hmm. Well, no, the huge entourage <laughs> of people. He was, nowhere, he was nowhere near by himself. No, but there was no one to like give him the the you know dog yeah. and pony show it was just tim cook sort of casually considering a laptop in front of hundreds of tv cameras yeah. <laughs> it was truly <laughs> odd. uh there's that and there's also like the event itself like i don't know and it feels amazing to even remark on this but we were all together like we were sitting behind marquez brownlee and next to renee ritchie and joanna stern was two rows in front of us and jason snell was there and i like i high five gruber like we were together and being able to watch all those people react to the news all at once is a very different feeling than watching a streamer be on Twitter. So, yes, it's very funny that we went to Apple Park for the world's fanciest drive-in movie. <laughs> I, I stayed home. I wore my pajama pants, just rolled over off of my bed to cover the event. It was great. It is easier to live vlog at home, especially off the stream. Like, Except for this one where the stream was like six minutes behind or something. We, we lived in the future by being there. No, no. You guys were almost exactly two minutes ahead of us. Wow. And so I kept like, I was like reading the live blog and I'd be like, all right, next person, get ready. And they're like, how do you know? And I'm like, <laughs> the live blog. Uh, also, David and I are rusty. Like, we invented a bunch of these moves and then we completely forgot them. Uh -huh. Like, I was like, did you bring a camera? And David was like, I did. And we had to like go find fear in our video producer and like get an extra camera off him. So we're going to get better at it. But that part was great. I just like want to say that like we haven't done 
events in like three years. Google had like a handful of people at I.O. There's been a handful of weird like Samsung one in one out moments. Apple just like did it. Yeah. And it was great. So it was cool to be there. It was cool to be in the Steve Jobs Theater, although we didn't weren't actually in the theater. We were just in like the beautifully lit hands on space above the theater. Yeah. Is that where they showed off the the laptop was in the the lobby? Yeah. Well, the wildest thing, and I've definitely mentioned this before, the wildest thing about the Steve Jobs Theater is there's speakers all around it, like hidden in the grass and you walk up a long path to it yeah. and they just play like new age music. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, I kept describing it as like the wet, like the wedding march that like Tom Cruise would have played at a Scientology <laughs> wedding to Katie Holmes. <laughs> You know, like it's like yeah. it's like exciting, but at the same time, it's like also we might all die in a sense to Zeno or whatever. Like it's like really like ooh, uh, like music, and it just fills the space around the Steve Jobs Theater. It's always wild when you walk in to that like whole facility from the outside because it is suddenly just like suddenly music is playing, yeah. and like you don't see the cars, you don't hear them. It's like gorgeous, like landscaping, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, but then it's like, is Johnny Ive going to murder us all? <laughs> like, that could happen in this environment. Yeah, it's like, is someone going to emerge from the brush and either show us a laptop or kill us? It's not not like the circle, is what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Which Neil I did, in fact, say to an Apple employee as we were walking around. <laughs> and she was like, hee hee, you. Like, <laughs> uh, all that was great. Like, that's, but that's like the fun of it. Like, you just don't get that at home. And like, it just made, I was rewatching the hands on videos. Like, I am just like way more excited about a MacBook Air than legitimately a MacBook Air is exciting because I was just like happy to be there. Speaking of which, let's talk about the Air. So they announced the M2 processor. Well, they announced a bunch of stuff. They announced all their software stuff. We'll go through those in turn across platforms. Most of the stuff they announced is like massively cross-platform, which is interesting. But there's one big piece of hardware news, which I got right. All of you told me it was going to be more M1 stuff, and I called it on the M2. New MacBook Air with an M2 chip. It feels like it once there's a lot to say, and then it's also a new MacBook Air with an M2 chip. Yeah, like, it's very, very interesting because, okay, this is their second generation, technically, right? Like, we've gotten a bunch of different processors from them, but those are all kind of under the same general architecture and and design and stuff. And this is slightly different architecture. It's a slightly different process that they're using, the 5NP instead of, like, the 5 nanometer. So it's like a slightly enhanced process for slightly better speeds, and they just felt like a, that's a that's like every processor announcement is that it's always hey we got a new processor okay cool what's new about it it's faster <laughs> okay cool what else faster <laughs> so it was like yes this is very exciting this is a huge monumental moment but also like okay cool it's 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 faster it's amazing that a Mac laptop has the same performance conversation problem as the iPhone has had for years yes like. The A-series chips in the iPhones and iPads are so much faster than any competition that all you can say is, like, I guarantee you that this will last for 10 years because you're, you know, you're not going to need all of this overhead. Yeah. And, like, 10 years from now, you'll be at the limit of this processor. Like, that's amazing for all these products. But, like, comparing it to a Windows laptop, which is almost certainly thicker, almost certainly has lower battery life and a performance penalty, it's, like, well, now it's even better than that. It's like interesting because the M1s are kind of based on the A14 and the M2 is is appears to be based on the A15. And so we're seeing like the same kind of jumps there. But we're also, we'll see, we'll potentially see some downsides too, right? So a lot of the work that's gone into the M2 are on the, the power efficiency cores. So theoretically, this is going to be like much more efficient. But then they've also put a lot of work into the clock speed, although they didn't disclose those clock speeds. But it should like it's going to run faster in that way. So it's like 
it's interesting how they're doing it because usually it's we're going to do more power efficiency and we're going to do better clock speeds, but it's all one processor. And here, because we have these like power efficiency cores and then we have these other cores that are just to do like hardcore power, it's all split up and weird and wonky. I just want to get it in my hands and test it and see if it's actually better. Because we're also hearing that the GPU can actually draw more power. So the GPU, theoretically, if you're playing a game, you could theoretically see less battery life on the exact same game between an M1 MacBook Air and an M2 MacBook Air. So what we don't know about that is how big the battery is. So they were very clear in a variety of ways that they had designed the chip for this enclosure, which is Mm -hmm. funny because they're Apple. And like... (laughs) If you didn't do it, like, what are you doing if you're not doing that? <laughs> like, if you're not designing the, strip, the chip for your smallest enclosure, like, whatever. But so they, they were very clear they did that. And it's not a it's not that wedge shape anymore. Right. Right. So it's like a traditional slab. And it's thinner. And the answer is, you know, when we were talking to the executives wandering around, like, it was very much the wedge shape is iconic. But getting away from the wedge shape made us let us even out the thermals, let us put in a bigger battery, and let us make it actually thinner. Because we're not packing everything towards the back of that wedge. Yeah. So I think there's a balance between, yep, maybe the maybe the chip can draw more power, but they've added more battery inside of that thermal envelope. You know, they also announced the 13-inch Pro with the M2 with <laughs> no design changes whatsoever. Yeah, announced is even like a strong term for what Apple did. Like they they just sort of offhandedly mentioned that it existed and then moved on. Yeah. I just developed a theory. I've got a theory for why this exists now. Okay, so so you can't actually do, if you were going to test the speed and the battery life and everything between the M1 MacBook Air and the M2 MacBook Air, you couldn't do it, right? Because totally different like designs, different batteries, everything. But you could do it with a MacBook Pro. So maybe it just exists, so we'll all buy it. So we'll all benchmark the M2. Just exists for benchmarking. Let's, let's get to that in a second. So the, just to finish the battery life, conversation. One thing yeah. about being there live and not doing it at home is that I couldn't screenshot their graphs and then work myself up into a rage about the graphs. I had to like wait until I got back to the hotel like hours later. And then I was like, do I have the juice to be mad about graphs? And it's like, let's see. And the answer was like, did not. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't as many of them this time. There was one that just said 87% and had two lines. And that was, that was like, they were like, that's enough. The axes are completely there. As always, the axes are labeled in almost meaningless terms. Like, yes, watts and then like relative performance. <laughs> so we have no idea what they're measuring. Uh, then the one that was useful was uh, Photoshop times. Mm-hmm. Right. They said the new era is 1.4 times faster than the outgoing. It's not outgoing, technically, than the old M1 Air. But we actually don't know which M1 they were measuring. So it might be the outgoing one, because only the base model remains. So it's like, who knows? Yeah. Right? It might be the fastest one, it might be the slowest one, we just like don't know. And then their battery life claim is the one that is like the most bonkers, because Apple historically has been so good at making battery life claims. All they said was 18 hours of video playback. And Joanna has like done an amazing video on this in the past, and like diving deep into what Apple means by this. And mm-hmm. what they mean by video playback time is you watch a video at like low brightness with all of the radios turned off on the computer over and over <laughs> again for 18 hours until it dies. That's not how you use your computer. I don't yeah. understand. It's like at home, like in the dark. Yeah. So like 
do I believe that Apple historically delivers great battery life across its products? I do, right? The, the M1 is it's spectacular. This My M1 Pro, I have a 16-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro. I got tripped up by optimized charging because I, I just plugged it in. I didn't open the lid and let it figure out that it was on Pacific time instead of East Coast time. Oh, no. It didn't charge to 100% in the morning, so I opened it to get ready, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> I want to spend the whole day at Apple with, like, 70% battery. So I charged it to 91%. I went to Apple. I live blogged the whole event. I published the hands-on post. We airdropped a bunch of stuff. We were on the Wi-Fi. I came home. I worked a little bit. I watched two episodes of Stranger Things. I closed the lid. I worked again the next morning. And like 24 hours later, the battery was at 17%. Insane. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And you had your radios on and everything. Yeah, I was like, I was like using the hell out of this computer like for a day and a half, right? So like, do I believe, like, I'm pretty sure that Apple's good at this. I just think their stats are getting increasingly in the realm of like ludicrously useless. Yeah. They're just finding fancy ways to be like, it's very good. We're so much better than everybody else that it's not even worth comparing. Move on with your lives. I mean, that's what they did in the phone space, right? Yeah. Like the phone space for years, we all knew that they were better, but like they were never going to like Qualcomm, they just left them in the dust. And so it's like, we're not even going to bother. Like we got the new, the A15, go, it's great, cool, moving on. And and they're kind of reaching that space, it seems like potentially that they're going to be able to do the same for laptops, maybe? It does not feel like anybody is competitive with this new era. Yeah. We should ask Monica. You know, like Monica spends all of her time reviewing laptops. We should like ask her when it's time for her to review this laptop. But just looking at it, looking at the performance claims, looking at, you know, it. we'll see. Like, there's just a sense where they've taken another leap and we'll see. The thing about battery life measurements on the Mac, which is like particularly hard, is on the iPhone, their estimates are really accurate because they collect all of the usage telemetry from everyone's phones. And then they have like a model of an average day that is averaged across everyone's phone in the world. Like in, you know, Apple's like yeah. differential privacy way of doing it. And they can't, they can't, like, can't quite do that with laptops that can run any arbitrary code. We've talked a lot. Like, how can I recreate your battery model? And they're like, you cannot. Right. And then with the <laughs> Mac, they're like, it's uh, 18 hours of video playback at two brightness with all the radio offs in the Apple TV app alone. And it's like, well, I can recreate that, but why? <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> the next thing to talk about is the webcam. Probably. Yeah, we can do that. It has one. It has a notch in the display. The display is bigger. It's a 1080p webcam. It's a 13.6-inch display, which is bigger than 13.3 on the, the new Pro. You can have feelings about the notch, but I don't see them on my laptop or my phone anymore. So, I, whatever. Um, the camera looks nice, and my theory with that camera is that it's not cropping like all of Apple's center stage cameras do. So, it might actually look good. Impossible to know until we get it. Yeah, I mean, we the only thing we saw, I did think it was very funny that you and I, when we both walked up to the MacBook Air, instinctively did the same thing, which is open FaceTime and look at our own faces, <laughs> like independently of each other. We, this is the first thing we did when we both walked up to this computer. But yeah, it looked really good. But that room is is like perfectly designed for great natural light. So it's it's hard to know. It's the most nicely lit room in the world. Yeah, but it is definitely some measure of an improvement over what has come before. I think how much is we're going to have to see in a review. Do you think it's notable that they didn't do center stage on it? Like, I mean, it is arguably for like why it looks better, but why didn't they do center stage? Their laptops don't have center stage. iPads and desktop Macs have center stage, which I don't understand either. But so like, who knows? Feels like this could have been the moment to, to move it from the, 
the iPad. No, I think they should get rid of it entirely. I think they should find whoever invented center stage, break into his office and delete it. <laughs> and then move the camera to the middle of the iPad and solve all your problems all at once. Like center stage is a great idea in theory and it's a fun demo. And then in practice, it's just like zooming all over the place and it makes your camera look worse. When it goes back to your point about the cropping, right? Like so much of Apple's theory has just been ultra wide cameras with tons of cropping. And I'm not even sure there's a version of the camera that is so good that that works. But with the camera quality that currently exists in these webcams, it just doesn't. And so you end up sacrificing actual good looking picture for like a nifty thing that follows you around. And my thing is like, I'm very happy to just like swivel the screen of my iPad. Like just make me look better in the camera. How many people were like, walking around their iPads in in studio displays set in their homes. The only demo anyone ever gives is little kids running around the living yeah. room. That's the only one. Which obviously you never do with your laptop. That's yeah. only for the iPad people. <laughs> and, and the iMac people who plop it down on the coffee table. All I'm saying is the, the story of the studio display, even after this update, it still looks bad. And it looks bad because they put a, a real camera in it and then they cropped it all the way down to nothing. So I'm hopeful that because there's no center stage here, this camera's an improvement. Am I expecting anything better than the 1080p camera on the 16-inch M1 Pro machine? I'm absolutely not. But in perfect light, it looked very nice. We should briefly talk about the 13-inch Pro, which, again, the chassis was designed for an Intel chip. <laughs> so like now it has an M2 in it, and it still has a touch bar for some baffling reason. And like the answers were, we still make it. So we keep making it. The reason is not baffling at all. The reason is like every, I think the simplest answer here is just like Apple has a bunch of these left and it's not that hard to just put an M2 in it. And there are a bunch (laughs) of people who will buy it like, yep. Like, Oh, look, we have a way bigger enclosure than we need. And it's a pretty good laptop that people mostly like, like, yeah, their point was it's the second best selling laptop in the world. The air is number one and the 13 inch pro is number two. And I want to be like, but because it's like the slightly more expensive one. Even by that logic, you made the air better. Maybe now make the pro better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like uh, Talladega Nights. It's like he, it's like the air shake and <laughs> pros uh-huh. bake. And it's like, that's how that's going to work. You know, like you're just along for the ride, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're not listening for you. <laughs> it does sound like eventually they'll change it. But I asked about the touch bar and they're like, yeah, we just didn't change the design. And that was the only answer any of them would offer. Okay, I'm being told we have to take a break, and then I'm going to have a lot of feelings about CarPlay. Like, the rest of the show is just me talking about CarPlay. Buckle up. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. 
you're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Okay, we're back. We do have to talk. It's not just going to be CarPlay. I'm going to try to hold it in. I just, I still hate Alex for saying buckle up. We moved past that way too fast. We had a whole ad break and I'm still <laughs> mad at Alex for saying buckle up. <laughs> All right. We so, like drive us there. Oh my God. Um, I have to go. We'll, we'll just start with CarPlay. So they announced a whole bunch of stuff, a bunch of iOS stuff. And at the end of the iOS segment, they're like, and we've got the future of CarPlay. This is just a sneak peek. Uh, you, know, you know, in iOS 16, you get a bunch of widgets and all this stuff. And they're like, now what if your whole car was widgets? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, like, they're like, you asked for it and you get it. And so the first thing they showed was like HVAC controls, which is like a perfect thing to add to CarPlay. Right. You're in CarPlay. You just want to, like, move the fan up. Sure. You've got one of those cars where they've taken the buttons away. I get it. it makes sense. And then they move over to the instrument cluster and they're like display like the, the speedometer or the map. What if your RPM gauge looked like a progress bar from OS 10, like, <laughs> like old OS and like aqua, like they're like, and, and themes we will do themes. And it's like, you don't even do themes on your other operate. Like, so like this all goes by in a flash and then they put up this huge slide of car maker logos and they're like, our partners love it. These cars, this is just a sneak peek. Cars will be announced at the end of next year. There was one one other beat of that before you get to how insane that whole thing was. They started the whole CarPlay thing by basically saying CarPlay is so good that people won't even buy a car that doesn't have it. I think that it was something like 79% of people that were surveyed said they wouldn't buy a car without CarPlay. And so it's like the positioning here is like Apple is, is basically like we make the only car software anybody likes. Nobody will buy a car without CarPlay. So like <laughs> we're taking over, bitches. And that was like that was the whole vibe of the rest of that presentation, which I thought was just fascinating. And those numbers are largely true. Like every car maker had, has had to get on board. Like Honda didn't do it for a long time and they had to do it. Mercedes didn't do it for a long time. They, they had to do it. BMW will sell you CarPlay as a subscription. They're like, yeah, you nerds will pay $39 a year for CarPlay. <laughs> and like, that's how they sell it to people who, if you, um, you get it when you like lease it, but then if you like buy a BMW, like it's crazy, but it's also just like, not like the tension in the auto industry is all these car makers know that they want the steering wheels to go away. And then you're going to be trapped in their like Netflix cocoon where they want to like program advertising to you. And we would on decoder, we have all these car companies, CEO come on and they all say things like the way we're measuring the success of our, our car business is how many OTAs we deliver to our center stack. Cause we want to compete with Tesla. Tesla notably does not support CarPlay because for all of Elon's many faults, he knows that giving his interface away to Tim cook is a bad idea. So it's true that car makers make garbage software and, I keep making this joke, but like every car reviewer, if you watch the videos, they like just gesture at the screen and are like CarPlay and Android Auto. <laughs> that's what that is for. But like what that's really for is you get maps on it and you get your music on it. And those apps aren't right. even necessarily Apple's apps. Like it's like Spotify and Google Maps show up on your center screen and that's what like people use it for. 
they want the maps back, especially if they're going to do self-driving, especially if they're going to do advanced driver assist. They're not going to give you the instrument cluster. And like, so they put up this slide with the logos. Andy Hawkins goes and emails every company. None of them are committing to this. Well, Polestar did. Well, let me just read some of them to you. So BMW, currently we have placed a clear focus on further enhancing our iDrive user interface system. As part of this development, we will continue seamless integration of Apple's ecosystem. Integral to these efforts will be an evaluation of how the latest innovations announced at WWC can be integrated in our solutions. Volvo, at this time, we have nothing to share. Toyota, we can't comment on future products this time. Ford, thanks for reaching out. We do not have any additional information. GM, GM has no commitments to announce this time. Mercedes is very good. Mercedes is the most polite German get the hell away from me I've ever heard in my entire life. In general, we evaluate all potentially relevant new technologies and functions internally. In this context, we also hold discussions with Apple. Aww. Yeah. So the the subtext of all of these, like my my read of this as like someone who gets emailed these statements all the time is that like the lowest level person on the CarPlay marketing team called the first phone number they could find at every one of these companies and was like, was like CarPlay, right? And the person on the other end was like, yeah, CarPlay. And then they were like, they're going on the slide. Done and done. <laughs> yeah. Like, lock it down. So then the two that are beyond this, there's Polestar, which Alex mentioned. By the way, Polestar and Volvo are like sister companies. There are Volvos that are like literally like the Volvo XC90 T8 powered by Polestar. It's wow. like, that's the name of a Volvo you can buy. <laughs> and isn't Polestar like... And the Android computer on wheels, basically. Yeah, Polestar runs. I'll get to that in a minute. So, but okay. Polestar says Apple CarPlay will come to Polestar 2 as part of an update later as well. So they don't even support it now. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's coming. Like, so they're just excited to say that Apple CarPlay is coming, period. And then we're also thrilled to announce that the next generation of CarPlay will be coming to Polestar cars in the future. Totally wide open. That could mean anything. Yeah. But they're thrilled to announce it because they don't have CarPlay now. <laughs> so that's Polestar. Like, okay, someone said something medium committal instead of in this context, we also hold discussions with Apple. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> and then there's Stellantis, which makes Jeep and Ram and Fiat and all that stuff. And then there's Stellantis, uh, which makes Ram and Jeep and Fiat and everything. It's a big European conglomerate. Their statement is. This is more of an Apple operating system for automotive applications rather than a CarPlay upgrade. We have not made any announcements regarding that system. Oof. So they're like, they're like Trojan horse alert. Y'all <laughs> like, no, thank you. So Stellantis is interesting. Uh, uh, Polestar is interesting. Ford is interesting. A bunch of companies have signed up to run Android on their cars. Ford, Google is just building it. Jim Farley was, I just talked to him. Um, and he's like, Google and Ford are working hand in hand. They're like making a custom version of this thing that's going to look like Ford Sync, which maybe they should reevaluate, whatever. But it's like Google runs on the car. Polestar just runs Android Automotive. Does Polestar run gas? That's the thing on top. Oh, Google God. Automotive Services. There's Android Automotive and gas runs on top of it. And then there's also Android Auto, which is a, a whole other th I'm dying. That's the CarPlay competitor. It's very bad. It's very Google. Okay. Um, all of them have their own messaging service. <laughs> and then Stellantis just forked Android and is building its own Android thing with Amazon. So like you have this like mobile phone code running in cars all over the place. So it's very natural to assume what Apple showed with this version of CarPlay is like Apple code running on the car. But we asked about it and it is not. It's all running off your phone. And they didn't say whether it was wired or wireless. They're like, but all of this is on the phone. There's no code on the cars. 
And that means your speedometer is running off of your phone. And I was like, what happens if the connection drops? And I'm like, we'll have some fallback <laughs> for it. Yeah. And it's like, you well, just keep going. Like, you just, you just <laughs> pedal to the metal. Um, so that's just like from a base technology perspective, unclear how the thing will work, unclear why those logos were in the presentation when none of those partners want to commit to this at all. Maybe those are partners of the existing CarPlay and Apple just to David's point, just like upped the leverage on them. The other thing that's weird is that, you know, you might say, oh, this is just a preview of the Apple car, but the Apple car will almost certainly be an EV. This thing had like gas gauges and MPG figures. It's nuts. And then on top of all that, if you would well, look at the screenshot they showed you and you're like, this design is bonkers. Like it makes no sense. No, the colors are nice. It's side scrolling widgets that go all the way over to the passenger seat. Like, you know what I definitely <laughs> want to do is reach all the way over to like where the glove compartment is to change the song that I'm listening to. Like this is terrible. Right. And then they've got a calendar widget. They had a air quality widget that is separate from the temperature widget, which is on a different part of the screen. Like air quality was higher. Like if you're looking at your you're going to see air quality before you see what time it is. And also the time is, is little analog clocks instead of just like numbers. No, those are the world clocks. So there is, there's a digital oh, clock sorry. Uh, oh. on the, on the like down, oh, I see. there's a little nine forty one PM digital, but then you have a big world clock for Tokyo and New York city. Cause that's what you always need in the car is to know several different <laughs> time zones at a glance. But wait, Neil, I want you to explain something to me that you mentioned just like in passing the other day that I still have been thinking about, which is like the one screenshot that Apple showed of CarPlay where I was like, okay, this is like a genuinely good thing that I hope exists was the thing where it just had the the heads up display and it just showed you the maps. And I was like, this is a thing that should obviously exist. And your response was that could already happen. And just no one wants to do it. Is that true? So CarPlay right now has the ability to support various size screens and remap the interface to different size screens. And it also absolutely has the ability since iOS 13 to appear in the cluster or the heads up display. And a lot of some car makers, maybe one or two have done it. So if you want, you know, your Apple CarPlay from Apple Maps to be in your center screen, the car makers can enable it. So then how do you get from that exists and no one really wants to do it to Apple taking over the rest of the instrument cluster also? Like that's the the leap these companies are going to have to make is so enormous. I don't think you get there at all. I think this is the exact same thing we saw with Apple in entering the TV space. They were late there. They didn't want to like actually have their operating system be on the TVs natively. They wanted to sell their own hardware that runs the operating system that you plug in. And then they just got lapped again and again and again by Android. And the exact same thing is happening in the car space. And like, okay, yeah, like Ford is going to go build a whole big fancy tons of displays on their dashboard and they're going to put Android on it. And then you'll be able to plug your phone in and just switch over to Apple. Like that's the plan as I understand it. And like, I mean, that's cool, but it's always, you're always going to have those, those weird interoperability things, right? You're always going to be like, well, I should actually use the Android version because if my phone runs out of battery or disconnects, I don't want to know. I, I would still like to know the speed limit I am going. Well, so the the idea, at least, again, I think this is all kind of like vapor. So the idea, as it was presented to us, was that the car is going to connect its internal systems to the phone 
and the phone is just rendering the display and some of the controls. So the car's still going to know how fast it's going. <laughs> like the speedometer, yeah. the, your speed is not being calculated on the phone. It's the graphical right. display of the speed. Right. right. And there's like yeah. some bi-directional communication. But isn't it weird that you would have one speedometer when you don't have your phone with you in the car and a whole other speedometer when you do like just the idea that my driving experience completely changes based on whose phone is plugged in. And also like you and I were driving the other day and Eli and we used my phone for CarPlay or we so that like I, it's like this stuff just doesn't make sense with how people use their cars to me. There's a reason we keep asking car CEOs to come on decoder, right? There's a reason they all want to be on decoder. They are all trying to recharacterize themselves as effectively software companies. Right. And the, the car is a phone on wheels. And like, there's all these endless cliches and you can, we did an entire roundup episode of what car makers say and decoder it. it people to Jed's on. It's a great episode. You should go listen to it, but they all have the same problems, which is they know that the primary user interface of the car has moved from the steering wheel to the center stack. Right. And like the steering wheel is becoming less and less important over time. And they have to add more and more driver assistance features. And eventually that steering wheel might go away. And then what you want to do is you want to program a bunch of entertainment in the car or you want to change how you sell cars or you want to sell advertising on those screens or you want to take a 30 percent cut of every purchase that happens in the Instagram app on your car. Like they see the revenue potential for all of these things. They want to strike the partnership with the EV charging networks and direct you to one and take a cut of whatever, like they see the money that can be made there. Are any of those ideas great? They are not, but they like all of them are basically advertising or recurring revenue services or whatever they are, but they see all that money that they've, the phone makers have made in these ways. And they're saying, well, our cars, our phones on wheels, we're going to make that money too. I think like a challenge they will have is people will still have their phones. So like, I'm not sure that that will happen for them, but that's where they're going. It's it's exact same as the TV space, right? Like everybody, mm -hmm. they saw the ad revenue, they saw all the things they could do, so they all went and said, "We're we're going to build it here." And then ultimately, a lot of not everybody, but a lot of us just go get a set top box. Yeah, we get a, like a Roku or an Apple TV or something. Right? Yeah, it's the same thing as a phone. Like ultimately, people said, "No, I'm going to bring my own operating system." To the this. difference is when you're like. Tizen TV crashes or your Roku TV or your Roku box doesn't play nice. You're not yeah. hurtling along the highway at 55 <laughs> miles an hour, right? Like there's just like a very, the stakes are very different. That's what kind of like blows my mind that the plays that Apple is making, that Google is making, that the car makers are making is so similar to the ones for TVs because one, we've already seen how it plays out on TVs. Like you guys know exactly what's coming. You know exactly how this entire back and forth is going to play out. And two, the stakes are so much higher, like actual lives on the line stakes versus just like, I was going to eat my dinner and watch Obi-Wan and now I have to go restart the TV. Well, just think about it this way. Like um, Ford right now sells Blue Cruise in it's F-150, a handful of like Lincolns and um, the Mustang Loggy. That's like it's auto. Yeah, it's it's advanced driver assistance system. It has mapped out a bunch of highways, uh, split highways, split divider highways in America. That's the only way to work. But you can take your hands off the wheel. The system monitors your eyes. If you look away for too long, it beeps at you. Put your hands right on the wheel. And it works really well. People love it. Okay, like just think about the components of said system. Like it has a map of highways it works on. It is looking at you. It is driving the car. Like what of those components are you going to give to run on your phone? You're going to give to Apple to take over. Are you going to give them the Blue Cruise button to run on the iPhone? You're going to give them the map? Are you going to you know, let them drive the car? Like, or are you just going to let them re-render all of that UI however Apple wants? Like they're, they're never going to do it. 
Well, and then the flip side question for Apple, which is notoriously unwilling to give its code to other companies, how much of that stuff is Apple going to be willing to give to car companies to put in the car for fail safes and for when your phone Bluetooth dies and whatever? Like, neither side has any incentive to like play nicer than they have to here. And the, actually, Alex, your point about TV is like, this is the ultimate TV problem. Like, every TV maker has its own weirdo operating system now. So app development has just like, it's a real fallback to like various weird HTML5 systems and extensions. <laughs> Fine. So your your HVAC system is going to be the HBO Max of your car. <laughs> it's not a good plan. <laughs> it's never going to work. So we'll see. Like uh, my thinking, just having asked around after this, is that Apple announced it to see what would happen, right? To like open the door, to put some pressure on those partners whose logos appeared on the thing. And that, you know, at the end of the day, they've got two moves. They can say, if you want CarPlay at all, you've got to support this. 79% of your buyers won't buy a car without CarPlay. And then see who breaks first. And then everyone also slowly follow along, just like Conda did back in the day. Or they're just going to put out their own car. Right? And it's like, or we'll kill you. Like, we'll Zuckerberg you. And then I, the car industry is kind of like, but you've been threatening us with this car for a long time. Like, yeah, best of luck. <laughs> so is this kind of them saying, don't go and partner with Unreal to have your weird skeuomorphic car UI just partner with us. Actually, that's a great, uh, just that comparison. We talked about this with Andy last time, right? Like if you are Rivian and you've just spent all this money on unreal and you're like doing yeah. all this stuff and you've built this UI and you want to compete with Tesla, are you going to hand it over to Apple? Like you're absolutely not going to do it. Like that's your differentiator on top of the fact that you have a pickup truck that some people can like five people ha- have and Elon still figuring out what to do with the wipers on the cyber truck. Like wiper, Actually, it's just just the one wiper. There's an amazing picture of the Cybertruck that came out, and it's just got one wiper that doesn't go all the way up the windshield. And so like your passenger gets nothing. And you as the driver, by the way, also get nothing on that side of the windshield. And then it might not go all the way. It's very good. Don't be tall at it. Other people focused on many other weird problems with this car, which like... Tesla's in general have weird problems, but it's a pre-production, so you can't fault them. But like the wiper is like, is that you've been working on this wiper for like eight months, dudes, and you only got to one. There's only one of them. It's not that hard. It doesn't go all the way. It doesn't just... go all the way. There's someone. There's a lot of theories that the wiper telescopes all the way out, but it's like, why? <laughs> like, why? Why would you build that instead? of? And then it doesn't telescope out one day and you're out in the rain trying to pull it all the way out. What is the purpose of a telescope? Why not just make the long wiper? It's very good. I encourage everyone to go look at this picture. (laughs) It's incredible. Anyway, that's CarPlay. We will see. I told you I had a lot of feelings on it. But they said end of next year. By the way, cars that are going to be announced at the end of next year, they're already done. Car World is slow. So if you're talking about a car that will be announced 18 months from now, like that car is well and designed. Yep. It is in full like manufacturing ramp. The car makers are on like four or five year cycles. So we'll see. I think they just wanted to announce this and see what happens. That's very much the sense that I got from everybody. That was part of iOS. David, there's a bunch of iOS stuff that you're like in love with. There is a bunch. So I mean, the big announcements, if I had to like boil it all the way down, are basically new lock screen, bunch of wacky new ideas about notifications and which I guess sort of goes hand in hand with the lock screen stuff. Uh, but basically the idea is you can, you can personalize the hell out of your lock screen. Now you can choose different fonts. You can have different pictures. It'll be sort of helpful in helping you figure out what looks good and what doesn't, but there's just like infinity new knobs to play with on how your phone looks, which I mostly think is great 
I'm very curious to see like how that interface actually works. Cause the only thing Apple showed was just like swipe back and forth to change stuff. And I'm like, that seems like a giant pain in the ass, but who knows? So that's one thing. The second one is a bunch of new ideas about notifications. They're moving the notif like there's a now a notification bundle down at the bottom of your screen that I don't totally understand. Uh, and there's also live activities, which was described to me as basically, uh, the notifications built on the tech stack of widgets. So you get that kind of like constantly updating information, but it lives in your notifications. So instead of like a new notification, my favorite example of this is like the one in my own life is like, I get a notification every time somebody on my fantasy football team scores a touchdown, instead of getting a new one every time, it'll just show me my fantasy football team score all day. Like that's a good thing. And then the third thing is messages. I think like there's a bunch of other little things going on, but the big one was you can now mark a messages on red, which to me is like, they could have just skipped the rest of WWDC and I would have been happy because now I will remember to text my friends back. Uh, you can edit a message after you send it for a period of time. I think it's 15 minutes and you can also unsend a message. Uh, so it's all like nothing sort of life changing and new. It's just a lot of these like little quality of life, make your phone make a little more sense to you stuff. Mostly I'm into it. I'm very curious to see if anybody picks up live activities and I know Nina, it's a thing you have feelings about too. Yeah. There's also improved haptics too, right? Oh, yeah. Dan Seifert on our team has basically not shut up about how excited he is that you get haptic feedback on the keyboard for like three days now. He's like, it's just a game changer. This changes everything. This is the biggest news. But Dan also still uses Gboard, which means I don't trust his <laughs> opinions about <laughs> phone keyboards. I turn off all the haptics on my phone. Like, Same. Right <laughs> yeah. Stop blessing me. I'm, yeah. I'm I don't like, I'm good. It shows me the letter after I type it. Like that's pretty much all we need here. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Android phones used to like do haptics for real, but they had horrible haptic engines. So you like push a button, you'd be like, like yeah. I hate this. I'll <laughs> give it a try. Live act. You're right. I'm very excited about live activities. Like it's the first new notification style we've seen in a long time. There's a lot of, I would say windows phone live tiles yes. embedded in there. Also Android widgets. Like these, these are things that have existed other places. Android but, doesn't send you widgets as notifications. That's true. Not this. Yeah, that is true. But like the interactive widgety thing is more yeah. Androidy, so I think that's really cool. Like the thing that we have learned since is that only Apple's first party widgets get to be interactive and like have control. Like music player will have like buttons and like whatever, and it's a live activity. Third party ones are just display, so sports scores and things like that. We'll see. I mean, look, I I think first you have to see if anybody adopts it. Like really, what you're saying is no one's going to use my app. This notification isn't going to send people into my app. It's just going to remain as a constant and as a information display surface that's related to my app and like we'll we'll see like i think that's a big decision for a lot of app makers yeah well that's kind of the weird tension right like as as apple does like it's rethinking notifications it's do, it's putting more information on your lock screen it's like making the widgets more useful and putting them more places and the the thrust of it is like spend less time opening apps on your phone <laughs> just look at your lock screen yeah and like apple <laughs> even talked about it the idea that like craig federighi he was at the the live recording of John Gruber's talk show, which was great. And I'm not sure when it's coming up, but everybody should watch it. And he was talking about the thing where you open your phone to do one thing and then sort of get lost in another app and how they want to start to solve for that. And I think one way you solve for that is to just like make your phone a little more glanceable, but you're going to do that at the expense of every developer who makes an app on your phone that requires you to actually look at that app from time to time, which yeah. is like that tension is really fascinating. Yeah, I think I do think like the ESPNs of the world will just do live activities. Like, I don't, we'll see. I'm I'm very excited for it. It's the first new notification idea in quite a long time. Who besides sports? Like, I keep trying to think of other ones, and I, like all I've heard were sports. Like, they talked about sports. You guys talked about sports. 
what are the other like what, what would be a use case for live activities outside of sports so okay so i'm looking at it here's one i have five notifications on my phone showing me calendar events and i think in a live activities world it would just be a persistent thing that shows me my next calendar event okay no that's just a widget no that wouldn't be a live activity that's just a calendar widget oh you're right because that's not changing you want a notification of something that you're going to get another notification about so sports scores is like the canonical one because eddie q loves him some warriors <laughs> And so like, <laughs> whatever. So that's like the easy one. I think if you want to monitor a stock price for a day, which if you're an mm. Apple employee, like maybe from time to time you want to monitor that stock price <laughs> for a day, anything that's going to change over time, but that you don't want to monitor permanently is like a candidate for this. A really hopping WhatsApp group. A really hopping, maybe. I mean, like the, I, that would be like a thing to experiment with. Um, directions. Flight status. Flight status. Direction. Oh, that was, they demoed flight status. Oh, they did. Okay. Uh, so travel stuff, right? You want to monitor okay. it for a day, but you don't want a travel widget. You don't want, like monkey with adding and removing travel widgets. Like, so it's like a temporary widget. But yeah, it's like an ephemeral widget. And I think that's neat. Like I don't, yeah. that idea has not existed. It's a combination of many ideas that have existed. You just did a much better job explaining it than any other way I've heard it explained. Like the ephemeral widget. Yeah. I just like, I love that. It's again, it's a remix of many ideas, including live tiles, including a bunch of Palm stuff, but it's one of the first truly novel UI, UI ideas Apple's had in a long time. And I think yeah. there's a lot of surface there, but as Dave was saying, like there's tension with app developers. Like if you're flight aware, you're not getting people to like open your app. Like you're just sending them a widget that goes away after a day. Like right. what is the enduring value of that relationship? But theoretically you still need to get the app. You still need to pay for the app and yeah, but flight aware doesn't get to show me ads if I'm okay. not looking at the app all day. So that kind of those ad based developers are the ones who are going to like feel that sting or I don't know, like ESPN, like they want you to open ESPN, like watch other streams, and like read their content, and like do all the stuff in ESPN. I guess that's unless you have ESPN plus that's ad based too. But you know what I mean? Like turning your app into a commodity information provider is like a real tension with these. But I think a lot of people are going to buy into them because the users will love you. And so like, that's a good thing too. I mean, I think the similarity there is like, between media and aggregators, like news aggregators, right? Like, it's it's the exact same thing. Like, we want you to click on our site and look at our ads. Yeah, but would I, if in a, a world where we had an app, would I say we should do a live activity for all of our live vlogs? I would be like, yes. And then, like, our business side would be like, but no. And we would have to, like, figure <laughs> it out, right? <laughs> well, and the, the thing about that is, like, it's not that hard to draw a line to, like, Apple's big theory about, the future of everything from that, right? Like Apple has not been unclear that it would prefer you did not have an ad-based business model on, <laughs> on your iPhone app. And Apple would really like you to charge a monthly subscription that it can take 30% of. So if it can like incentivize you to become that kind of provider that people will just pay for and it just like pulls things to me at the best way, like that's what Apple wants. So like it's it's incentivizing this pretty heavily in a direction that also makes sense for Apple as a company. I thought it was interesting, though, that does this mean like we're even less likely to get RCS? Yeah, no mentions of RCS at all. There was a mention of Matter, the other standard. Sure. They said it out loud. They said it out loud. We've, we've joined the Matter Consortium, and then they said nothing about what that means. <laughs> they kind of implied that they created it. Well, because Matter is basically HomeKit, so like, there's a lot of family resemblance there. So they were like, and we gave them HomeKit, so they wouldn't steal your privacy. <laughs> Because that's what they would have done. So that's cool. They uh, One thing that's interesting is as of iOS 16, iPads can no longer be HomeKit hubs. Oh, I love this plan. 
right? You need an Apple TV or a, a HomePod mini probably because matter needs thread and those devices have Bluetooth radios and thread radios in them. No, this is actually an improvement because right now, if you're maybe have a lot of Apple devices and you didn't understand what the hub was and you maybe activated on everything, not understanding what it is, (laughs) (laughs) then it would maybe always go to your iPad when you Really? really didn't want it to. And you'd be like, stop it. Or it would choose like the one Apple TV that you never use. This feels like not a hypothetical example in your life, Alex. <laughs> Do we need to it's talk like, about this? Just hypothetical. It's hypothetical. It's just out there in the world. No, I'm very, I'm honestly very excited that they're getting rid of it. Cause I think like, I think how Apple has rolled out so much of like home has been really badly done. Like they have not explained it. The, how they explain everything about it, how to set it up. It is not super intuitive. I would not leave, I would not send my mom thread bulbs in a home pod and say, have fun. That would be hell. The calls would be nonstop. Like, I can send her a laptop and be fine. Maybe. But she can't set that up. And so, like, any move towards making it a little easier and getting rid of those excess choices in a really, like, choice fatigue scenario is great. The other thing they said, and just along those lines, like, an all-new home app that's easier to use. And I'm looking, I'm like, they changed the wallpaper and some of the button shapes are different. It's very hard to see what the difference is. You can see cameras. That counts for something. No, you can see cameras in the current home app. Yeah, but like, they're higher now. <laughs> <laughs> they're not at the bottom. It's. I think it's clear. Like something is happening in matter, and it's like some of the stuff will get. But there's just very little. There's very little there. So yeah. we'll see. I'm excited about the matter call out. It's like the when Apple says it. Ideally, that means it's close. It was delayed earlier this year. It was supposed to launch already. So hopefully when this stuff comes out in the fall. So that's the iOS. What's really interesting is like we talked about widgets. We talked about messages, which is on all the platforms. And we talked about stuff that's coming to every platform. Like iPhone stuff really is like the lock screen. They changed a lot. Themes. We didn't even talk about that. But yeah, you can change your clock font and you can. <laughs> great. Which Finally. is, I should say, that's not nothing. Like the the there is this subset of Apple users that I think is probably most Apple users who just like want to turn their thing on and it works like the, the percentage of people I suspect who have all of the Apple icons in their same order on their home screen is like massively high. But then there's a, a subset of people and it's like a growing group of people who like go on TikTok and see all these crazy things you can do with icons and all the wacky stuff people are doing with widgets. And like Apple is I think trying to give those people like more knobs to fiddle with without making the sort of default experience harder. And that's like, it's a good idea. And I think it's the right one. I think it's going to be super, super hard to pull off because the, the flip side of it is there's now a million buried cool features in iOS that iOS never tells you about. Uh, And so the only way to find them is to like discover them from some weird TikTok creator. If you know, one of the TikTokers who has built themselves a lucrative career being like, have you seen this setting on the iPhone? I want them on decoder. Just like connect me. Cause I'm dying to know what their lives are like. Like (laughs) it's like another day in the Lambo looking for settings (laughs) that no one's ever heard about. (laughs) Please tell me. Sitting in a Starbucks drive through. (laughs) Got a pup cup for the dog. All right, let's take a break. We'll go through the rest of WWDC stuff and a little bit of a lightning round on gadgets. We'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. 
Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, we're back. Should we just do the iPad and Mac together since Apple is smushing them together anyway? There's only one thing I want to talk about for any, either one of them anyway. Well, the story of both is stage manager, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stage manager. Alex, you go first. I've had I've been yelling about stage manager to like strangers on the street for the last three days. So like, let me not go first. Alex, you go first. I was just yelling at everybody in Slack the day of. <laughs> like, this is just, it's just another doc. It's basically just expose, but then you have a whole other doc of Windows in addition to your doc of apps. And I really do question how many windows the average user of iPad or Mac OS has opened at any one time that this is a super usable thing. Like that it fixes anything. Cause right, right like I, I consider myself a fairly big power user and I don't have that many windows open and I can look at them all on one screen. I just did it. You guys don't know it, but I just did it. Congrats. Like, do people need more than that? Do people really have like they they were showing in the the demo like twenty pages open? And I'm like, do people really have that many open at all times? Tabs, yes. I'm the exact opposite from you. Like, I, I would I would like to be able to see and interact with eleven different things simultaneously on my one screen. Like, is that a good use of my life and resources? No, but that is roughly how I try to use my computer at all times. And I think this is kind of the problem, right? Like the, the, the forever challenge of the Mac is that everybody uses it slightly differently. And especially it's now it's very popular. A lot of people use it. And so Apple is like perpetually trying to do new things. And it's now caught in this like very Microsofty world where everybody is so set in their ways that like there was a time when I think what Apple would have tried to do is like come up with something like stage manager, ditch everything else and be like, this is now the new way to use your Mac. We believe in it. We have killed mission control. We have killed command tab. Like stage manager is the future. And now Apple's response is basically like, we're going to give you all the ways to do everything. And you can just sort of pick from this grab bag, whatever makes you happy. And to me, that's just a total cop out. And what it actually leads to is people using none of these things and just continuing to be confused by how their computer is supposed to work. Well, they got the real, they got the real windows problem, right? They can't take anything away. Like Alex is mission controlling for days over here. Like you can't be like, it. and we're taking that away from your work. Like they cannot do that. So this operating system is 20 something years old. It has some cruft and Apple's better than most at removing cruft, True, but there's some cruft. I think they have stage manager on the Mac cause they built it for the iPad. And if you have a bunch of iPad users and you're like, and you should buy a Mac to do the things you can't do in your iPad. Like you need a, <laughs> you need like a windowing environment that's familiar to them. So now you have it and then like whatever, like on the Mac though, it just, it feels like stage manager is bizarre hybrid where you want the Mac to be more of like a single tasking operating system. 
it really is like you go back to the early, early days of OS 10, like 2000s OS 10. There was a purple button in the menu bar that was called single window mode. Oh, and yeah. they announced it and no one knew what it meant. And then Apple had to like figure out what it meant. And it was like, we'll just make this window big. Like it would made no sense. And they eventually <laughs> took it away. But it feels like we're back to single window mode where you're just going to hit a button and one app will take over your screen. And then you hit you can like pick another one and like another single app will take over your screen, which is how the iPad works. And yep. then on the iPad, what that gives you is you've got more apps at once and you can like resize the windows and, you know, it's beta. So that looks a little messy right now. So it's this weird tweener between making the iPad more like a Mac and making the Mac more like an iPad. And it's aimed at like a user base of maybe exactly four people who are Tim Cook, Phil Schiller, Craig Federighi, <laughs> yes. like I just I, I don't know like who is like clamoring for this they were i think we're all clamoring for windows on the ipad so they've achieved that in some strange way yeah couldn't you just also command tab on your ipad you can you can so it's but but when you do command tab and ipad like literally like the whole thing like slides off it's like a very dramatic right like you're going from app to app you're like moving the ipad does not have the concept of spaces right right so stage manager is about Reducing the drama. Yeah, I know. It's just like so the, the way the way Craig described it again at the talk show, which I thought was really interesting, was basically like the problem with the Mac and the way he described it was that you're always cleaning up after yourself, which I actually thought was like a, a clever way of describing it, right? Like the thing you do on your computer is like open a million tabs and apps and then just slowly prune and then open and prune and it's like it's it gets messy so you're cleaning up. And then on the iPad, people were running into like I need to be able to see multiple things at a time and I want to like have the thing where I can be using a browser but have an app behind it that I'm using for reference or whatever. And the thing that they designed to meet in the middle is stage manager. And I think Apple likes to have things that work in both places because I think people use both those devices and the more Apple can like make the interfaces make sense, the happier it will be. But to me, it just feels like they made a thing that is the exact middle of the Venn diagram and actually doesn't solve anyone's problem in any particularly meaningful way. It's like a C plus on both sides and they're like, great, we did it. So what's fascinating about that is that's only available on the M1 iPads right? because the M1 iPads now support virtual memory and like fast swap. So they can do it right before multitasking. I've had had the great advantage or great disadvantage, depending on your point of view of the iPad ruthlessly calling applications from memory. Mm-hmm. So it would just yeah. like sleep or suspend applications or quit them entirely just to preserve its own memory. Cause you're only doing one thing at a time. And then yeah, you got slide over in the stuff, but now you're limited to three apps with M one and swap and memory swap on iOS 16, you can do Mac-like things, like multiple live applications at once, so you're quickly switching before. I think it was eight at a time, right? Like eight eight per pile. (laughs) By the way, Craig (laughs) referred to it as a pile of windows, and that's like, you guys... Like we're just quickly. The uh, they also announced a bunch of iPad stuff. They called it desktop class APIs and a desktop that files is getting improved to be desktop class. Hmm. And then they announced real display support. So right now when you plug a display into an iPad, it just mirrors your iPad. No matter how big the display is, you get like a four three iPad in the middle <laughs> of it. And that's what you get. Now it's a real extended display. And there's this whole sequence where he's like, and now I'm dragging one window from the iPad seamlessly to another display. <laughs> 
I really wish you could all hear the noise that Neil I made in the middle of WWDC. <laughs> like, like cracking up in the middle of this thing. Oh my god! Had to, he had to apologize to everyone else in our row for his outburst <laughs> in the middle of WWDC. <laughs> it's just like, what As Craig is going, I can drag my cursor seamlessly. Neil I just goes, ha! <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's 2022, y'all. I've been dragging between displays for a long time. Yeah, and then he did another drag and drop demo. He's like, I found this file on my desktop. And I just on the Mac. Oh, by the way, if you click on the desktop now, all the windows go away. You get the desktop, which is great. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, big improvement. Very good idea. But he's like, and then I picked up this picture and I just dragged it into this window. And everyone's like, ooh. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that shit came out in like 1988. Like, what we are think we the doing? Drag and Drop Alliance thinks about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it's real messy now, right? It's you've got the 329 iPad, which is an excellent Disney Plus machine for all the children in your life. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've got the iPad Air, which is... The iPad Air actually has more... It has an M1, so it can do all this stuff. Then you've got the Pros, which like add a stylus and all this other stuff. But the app... like Now you can window, and you can do a thing. You've got Stage Manager, and the apps run on a Mac. And it's like... It's real messy. Yeah. And like Apple's point to us, every time we ask... Like I've literally started referring to this as like the Greg Joswiak memorial question is like, <laughs> what's the difference between an iPad and a Mac? And the answer is always like people buy them both. They have them both. They love them both. They should be easier to use together. Like no one is making this decision the way that you think they are. And I buy it. But as they get closer and closer to each other, I think the risk of people actually making that decision gets much stronger. And I will say I wandered around asking people like, did you just make a Surface RT? Like, did you make that weird cut down version of Windows that only ran apps from the App Store? And it's yeah. like, well, it's the iPad, so it's way more successful than that. If you <laughs> squint, there's Windows and there's Windows RT. And it's like, I don't, I just don't know how long it's going to take for Apple to just give in and let the iPad run Mac apps or put a touchscreen on a Mac and let it go into iPad mode, right? I think the second thing is much more likely, personally. But yeah, I mean, the, your your point about the iPad lineup, I think, is is the right one because what's happened now is there is a version of the iPad lineup that makes sense next to the Mac, right? Like the the three hundred and twenty nine dollar iPad is is a demonstrably different thing than any Mac. But if you're buying like the high end iPad Pro with a Magic Keyboard and a MacBook Air, like those are damn close to being functionally the same device over time, especially as like your average user is going to use it, right? Like the kind of person who is not mucking around in the terminal and editing video all day that like your experience of those two devices is going to be remarkably similar now, which I just think is fascinating. And it seems like Apple is doing that on purpose over time. And so I wonder like, as those things get closer, how they're going to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, well, once or twice a year, I ask this question and the answer is always the same. So we'll see. There's a little bit of other Mac stuff in this conversation. We have to talk about continuity camera. We have to. Yeah, I love that they're calling it continuity <laughs> camera. What an insane name for this feature. Like, they're like, what can we glue it onto? Continuity exists. So continuity is a feature that looks like you copy on a Mac and paste on an iPhone or use an iPad as a handoff. I did not put two and two together that that's why this is called continuity. I hate it even more now. Right. So, but that's like the overarching name for a bunch of all that stuff that like makes an iPhone and a Mac work together. It's continuity. And now it works with the camera on your iPhone. And now you've got continuity in the camera. So now you can plug, I think you can do it um, wired and wirelessly. Yeah. But now you can use your iPhone camera is your Mac webcam, which is hilarious. Cause that's like for years, like why don't you just put an iPhone camera in a Mac? And they're like, 
We got you one better. Is better the word we would use? It's very specific iPhones, right? Like, it's only the iPhones that'll work with iOS 16. And they, they, they really pruned the number of devices being supported with this move. So, so your older iPhones aren't going to work with it. The ones you would be most inclined to, like, use as a webcam. Yeah, like that. Yeah. The the camo app has had a a big run over the last couple of years because there were a lot of people who had, like you're saying, Alex, old iPhones sitting around. That with that app, you could just plug straight into your computer and use it as a webcam. And now the pitch is much closer to like attach your actual phone that you use every day to your laptop, which strikes me as a much bigger, more complicated thing to ask people to do. I feel like I wouldn't want to do that unless like. If somebody said, Alex, you have to go on BBC America in an hour, I'd be like, okay, I might do it for that. I bought camo the other day because I was in my hotel room after WWC the next morning and I had to be in CNBC and I looked at the webcam and I was like, <laughs> I respect myself too much and I spent the money on camo. It's a good app. That's a great reason to use continuity. How many people needed a camera for an emergency for a TV op? <laughs> Tim Cook sometimes. The, the funniest thing about that is I didn't have a mount for my phone. So I ended up with my laptop perched on a nightstand on top of an overturned garbage can. <laughs> and then I made like a triangle with the lid of the laptop and I wedged my phone in the triangle. And I, if you watch that CNBC hit, it's just me looking terrified because one, I can't see what's on the screen because my my right. And it was nuts. And I was like, is this phone going to fall over? So Apple has to solve this problem of like phone mounts. So they said there's going to be a Belkin mount. The phone mount they're showing that's stuck to the back of all these laptops is ugly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's ugly. <laughs> I just keep thinking it looks like a like a little kid suction cup that's they just like ripped off of something and just went like thrum onto the back of your Mac. Mounting your phone on the back of a laptop is uh, difficult. Phones are heavy. So like your laptop lid is going to like go in another direction. My one piece of advice for people who actually want to do this is buy a teeny tiny tripod and just stick that behind your laptop at a height where it just like if you sit at the same place with your laptop all the time, which most people do, buy a tiny tripod and stick it behind there. It'll work much better. So Tim Cook, please go buy a tiny tripod. Ha! So see, I, this is fascinating. It's a good idea. Another laugh moment in the crowd was like, here's a mount we're making for the Pro Display XDR because it doesn't have a camera. <laughs> and then everyone was like, but I could use that with my studio display. <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty good. We'll see. I, that's exciting. I'm like, that's a very obvious thing for Apple to do. I'm glad they did it. They announced Safari pass keys that they're doing with the Fido Alliance. Google and Microsoft are doing that. That's very exciting, too. That's basically using your devices as passwords and getting rid of passwords entirely. That's a big deal. And then this is really cool. Both iOS 16 and macOS Ventura, they're getting this thing called rapid security response where they can issue security updates without issuing operating system updates, which is cool. Wait, can I say one other really quick thing about the Mac that I think is fascinating? And this is also like speaking of things that are sort of coming to all these platforms, Apple seems to be really interested in upgrading Spotlight as a thing. There's now going to be a little button on the bottom of the iPhone that says search. Uh, like where where the little dots are that show your home screens. If you hit that, it'll bring up Spotlight instead of having to drag down from the middle. And also they're adding all kinds of like image indexing on the web to Spotlight. You're going to be able to do more actions in Spotlight. Like there have been rumors for years that Apple was going to build a search engine. Um, and I actually think this is probably what that search engine looks like. Like rather than trying to knowledge graph the web the way that Google did, Apple's just going to like index your stuff and all the stuff you care about and just pull it all into Spotlight so you can do stuff. And 
I just think that's kind of fascinating. Spotlight is one of those like underloved features on a lot of these things that I think most people like don't know exists or how to use it. Every time I show it to somebody, they're delighted. They're like, wow, you can do that. You can just like yeah. hit Apple in space and find an app. I will say that Apple putting a search button at the bottom of the phone looks an awful lot like Android. Yes, it does. Like the most like Android. Like more than the lock screen and widgets. The other part of it that's interesting to me, though, is that there was a there was a time when I would have assumed that that button would have been called Siri. And my my pet question every WWDC is how often does Siri come up? And that number has just been dwindling and dwindling and dwindling to the point now where like all the things I thought would one day just be like Siri are now not Siri. (laughs) It's like (laughs) it's like search and it's spotlight and it is like Siri is being sort of slowly like ridden out of the stuff that you should be doing all day, every day. There were some Siri mentions here, like, you know, conversational queries in the sessions. There was some Siri stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's still around, but there was a minute where it was like, like in the way that Google is trying to sort of make assistant take over your entire Google life. Like Siri is very clearly not doing that within the Apple universe. Yeah. I'll mention TVOS quickly only to say that nothing happened (laughs) there. (laughs) We had Neil Mohan, the chief product officer of YouTube on, uh, I was like, where's my YouTube TV 5.1 audio support? So they announced it for Google TV, Android TV, and Roku. And they said, we're still waiting on our other platform partners to give us what we need. And then Apple announced TVS 16. I was like, it's happening. And then nothing. <laughs> and wow, virtually wow. nothing else in TVOS 16. The only thing of note is that it's going to support HDR 10 plus now. Ooh. If you're a Samsung TV owner, you don't have Dolby Vision. That's it. That's the big update. But there's like no content in HDR 10 plus. So. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, the the Watch OS stuff was was kind of interesting. I, like they're going to do prescription tracking now, so you'll better be able to track your prescriptions. And as a worrywart with an old mom who lives by herself, I'm very excited about that. There's also the potential for privacy nightmares there. Yeah, but that's like a health feature. That's across. This is like the yeah. one thing about WC that really stood out. Like. That's a feature in Apple Health that is expressed across all the platforms. It's not a watch feature. That's true. That's really cool. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, it's interesting to see how many features were best thought of as Apple features and not product features. This is super nerdy. Sorry, inside baseball. But when you're when you're planning to cover these these events, we usually will be like, okay, this person's on Mac OS. This person's on iOS. Okay, this person's going to be on these breakouts. And increasingly, in the last like year and a half you can't do those hard assignments anymore because you'll be like, okay, you're going to be on home. Well, there's not actually a home section. It's sprinkled throughout because this home feature is going to be really important for the iPad. And this one's going to be really important for the home pod. And this one's going to be really important for the Mac and makes it super frustrating to cover this stuff. But it also is like, I mean, it's probably good in the long run because it's, it's Apple like kind of putting it on everything. Yeah. All the features everywhere. It's all features everywhere. Uh, the watch is getting new running metrics. Yeah. So if you are running, it can tell you like stride length and how efficiently you're running. Victoria is very convinced that this is all leading to a rugged Apple watch in the fall. Ooh, that is, that's a good idea. That's why we're getting all of this stuff yeah, now the, so they can finally compete with Garmin and Polar. The thing Apple has figured out about the watch, which I think is correct, and it doesn't always figure this out. Like there was a thing where it was like, you can have podcast discovery on your Apple watch. No (laughs) one wants that. (laughs) But the thing that Apple has figured out is that the watch, like by definition, is just like the fiddliest device it makes. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, do you want all of these super deep running metrics? Uh, And do you want like this 
medication reminder thing. It's like all those sort of little stuff that you can do. The watch is just like, it is for fitness and it is for health and it is basically for nothing else. And so Apple is just like deep down both those rabbit holes now, which strikes me as the right answer. But then the other thing I thought was interesting to your point about all features everywhere was fitness, the app coming to the iPhone and actually being able to like do the same, not the same, but like a lot of similar fitness tracking stuff without a watch. I just thought that was very interesting. And like that has been the watch's moat for so long that it was interesting to see them actually pull it off and put it on the iPhone. I think it's like a key frustration for people because battery life is still probably the number one concern for most people with the Apple Watch, right? Like it's battery life is nowhere near anybody else in the space. It's bad. And a lot of times you're like, okay, I got to I got to close my rings. Hold on. I have to go charge my f- watch so when i go for this walk it counts and now you can just (laughs) go for your walk and not have to worry about it so it like i think it it kind of is addressing those battery concerns not necessarily the way people probably will want especially those like hardcore runners that's not me but they exist and they apparently want a a a a watch that will last an entire marathon and the apple watch kind of struggles with that right now and so this is like that nice little crossover for them yeah, I make my watch battery uh, survive by not doing anything all day. That's my strategy. Yeah. This I really care about the watch battery more than my personal fitness. <laughs> so that's like WWC. Like yeah. there's other stuff. Like Apple did buy now, pay later, which is a little shaky, and they're financing it themselves. They don't have like a bank partner. Like the Apple Card is Goldman Sachs, but Apple's doing its own. They don't have a bank charter, but they're basically a bank now. Yeah, it's we'll see. Their buy now, pay later is like very interesting because it's uh, it's four payments over six weeks with zero interest. And I just want to tell everyone, like, unless it's an emergency, and sometimes it's an emergency, you need a laptop now, your phone broke, you need a new phone, and you can't afford it right away. Okay, I get it. But for most situations, if you can do four payments over six weeks, you should just set the money aside for six weeks and make one payment at the end. (laughs) Like, just a little tip. Like, it's I don't understand why that's their structure for this. And buy now, pay later firms are, like, a little shaky. This was a weird time for them to announce it because a lot of those firms are having difficulties right now. We've, we, we may or may not be heading towards a recession, and that means all these people may or may not be able to pay all of these bills that they've now given themselves. The Apple financial services story is like there, and I just – Apple's making great products. I don't think they're in any danger, but like GE turning itself into a financial services company is a thing that killed GE – Sony turning itself into an insurance company is a thing that killed so like d- danger, Tim Cook. You know, <laughs> that's, okay, but that's uh, WWC and like by now, pay later is like by far the smallest piece of news. Um, we got to get this laptop. We got to get this stuff. It's all coming out in the fall. We're excited about it. Let's do a little lightning round here. USB-C mandatory for all phones sold in the EU by autumn 2024. So this rule goes into effect this year and then firms have 24 months to comply. Laptops get 40 months. So that's. Autumn 2024 is iPhone 16, and we've already heard rumors Apple's doing it. This is like the greatest day for government regulation in history. Yeah, wait, okay, I need you to explain this to me, because right before we started recording, you you said, okay, I understand how this timeline is supposed to work. So I would like you to explain it to me, because I do not understand how this timeline is supposed to work. So I don't understand how the European Union works. Like, I look at it, and Europeans try to explain it to me, uh-huh. and I'm like, huh, it's like cricket. Like, theoretically, I understand. <laughs> right? And then my dad calls me and he's like, I need you to open Sling TV that I pay for on your, so you can watch this cricket match with me. And I'm like, what is happening? So the European Union is going to 
They've passed this rule, but they haven't formally passed it. Right. And they're going to formally pass it in September. I don't understand how that part works like at all. And I think I just refuse. I think what, what, what literally seems to be happening is they're all about to go on vacation. And so they decided that as soon as they get back from vacation, they've like made a pact to pass this <laughs> as soon as they get back from vacation. Like, I literally think that's what's going on. And I respect the hell out of it. Okay. But then the other thing, and like the idea is basically to debundle chargers from devices, which makes sense for a bunch of reasons, one of which is environmental. And then like this applies to basically everything that comes with a charger, right? Is that the, is that the idea? Yeah. Anything that you're, you want to charge, you got a battery. That is the messiest definition you could possibly imagine, right? Like it's like, this is, this is why this is so much fun. Like anything with a backup battery is now suddenly like subject to this rule. I, this, this, I don't know. My my home has a backup battery. Like, do I, does my house have to be USB C? <laughs> no, it's very. It, I think like the what is a computer aspect of this is messy. But like, what they mean is phones, laptops, things that you charge, right? Like mobile devices that you charge. They're trying to cut down on e waste to reduce the number of chargers in the world, which is like a noble goal. So I'm pretty sure like most things already charge via a USB standard because of the European Union. And I like there's one did this once before there's one electronics manufacturer that makes this not work. But if you just like look around the industry of computer stuff, it has been micro USB or USB C for a long time. So this is the kick to move the industry. That's great. It's not just Apple, though. We're going to get a lot of these smaller companies that have been sticking to their micro USB finally going to USB C. So that's that's nice. Big win. Oh, yeah. All the like weird audio gear in the universe that has been on micro and occasionally even mini USB is all going to, it's going to be great. Those, that stuff I'm very happy about. It'll be interesting though, because there's a lot of those companies and they, these very specifically are like, well, we haven't updated because it's costly for us to like move over to USB-C. Like we built it on micro USB and now like they're going to have to spend that money, even if they maybe can't afford to. So we'll see. I I think Apple's going to make some noise, but there's rumors that they're already working on this phone with USB-C. Which is amazing. Do you think it'll be a EU only phone? No, no way. Like, I think that's a huge mistake. And I think Lightning has run its course. And if if you want your phone to run an entire car dashboard, you need more bandwidth. So, like, like, there's no way they can do that all over wireless CarPlay. So, like, (laughs) we'll see. But, like, the future is the power and bandwidth of USB-C, not Lightning, which is way over 10 years old. So we'll see. I also, I, I don't think they're ever going to make a totally portless iPhone. I think that was a Johnny Ive dream that like even MagSafe is like not fast enough and not well supported enough. Other big news, last lightning round thing. There's a Taco Bell store that you can order with an app and then drive through in Minnesota. That's very important. Woo-hoo. No, uh, last lightning round thing. This is actually big news. It's like, I feel like hit very quietly. Xbox announced a game streaming app that works on Samsung TVs. They're going to come to other smart TVs. It's kind of huge. It's huge. Yeah, this is huge. It turns everything into a game console. That's crazy. Yeah, I think this was always kind of the plan for for Microsoft versus Sony. Like Sony is like very, we're going to just have the best console you can buy. And Microsoft is like, we're just going to be everywhere. So you can always play video games. And that makes a lot more sense. I think there's still like a lot of things they haven't answered and they haven't addressed. And they're very aware of like the internet infrastructure in the United States just isn't there. And that's why we, we consistently, consistently see Microsoft releasing these, hey, the internet in the US sucks reports. Like, I think we're going to continue to see those. If anything, they're going to invest more over there to say, look how much the internet sucks because they need it to not suck to sell this stuff. But this is just like 
Microsoft's big grand plan finally coming to fruition. Yeah, and they've been hinting at it for a long, long time. They've been wanting to do this for ages. And they're the first, I think, to really do it. Like NVIDIA has been right there along with them. It would, it's really those two companies. We want to talk about Google, whatever. But it really has been NVIDIA and Microsoft chasing cloud gaming. And Microsoft has kind of finally gotten there. Maybe. Cameron tested it out on the Samsung TV. He really liked it. That's obviously like in a very special setup. Everything's supposed to be working. We still have to test it. Anybody have a Samsung TV, let me know. But like... This is cool. This is just like it's happening. They're finally doing it. It just makes me think that like the console is sort of heading up the video gamer level into like the world of PC gamers where it's like if you want the best performance, game streaming is almost certainly never going to be that thing. Right. Like it's just you literally just cannot compete with the thing that is just sitting in a box in front of you. And that can't compete with the thing that you're sitting in front of with a mouse and keyboard that is wired and costs many thousands of dollars, right? <laughs> so, like, but those two things, I think, are going to, like, move way up the chain to the top. And now it's, like, most gamers, like me included, I'm, like, sitting around playing FIFA. So, like, getting 144 frames per second is, like, not interesting or necessary in my life. Suddenly, game streaming becomes the main thing. And I think that's, like, Microsoft is actually headed there faster than I expected. And unlike NVIDIA and, like, super unlike Google has a really long path of like being able to pull it off on the content and game side. Yeah. Well, they own all the game studios. Yeah. In a way that's just going to be super hard for anybody (laughs) to catch up to. And like, this is, this is always the thing that was going to come together. And it's like, I mean, I think NVIDIA is not out of this, right? Like, like obviously NVIDIA doesn't have the same kind of backend infrastructure that, that Microsoft has with Azure, but it has a very powerful backend structure. Like we, we don't talk about it a lot, but NVIDIA has got a huge server business and and that's why they've been doing this stuff. So like, there and they've also got those really great relationships with the with the studios that Microsoft doesn't own, which is like four of them now. <laughs> but they still got those relationships. Yeah. Like the reason Nvidia has been so big on PCs versus AMD, one because AMD sucked for many years, but once it finally got better, Nvidia was still be- better because it had these really strong relationships, and so it could get all of these like software enhancements and stuff that on these games that AMD couldn't. So like. They're still very much in that running, and arguably they have a much better library of games. But Microsoft is way easier to use, and now way more accessible. I think the thing that's really interesting here is there's a lot of rumors that they were going to announce a TV streaming device, like a a stick or like a Roku competitor, and we don't know where where that went. Like, there's been rumors that maybe it's canceled, maybe it's being rejiggered, but that gets you okay. This works okay on your smart TV as an app. And maybe it works really well if you buy this Roku thing. And then it works great if you buy the console, right? Like suddenly like the idea that Microsoft can just do Netflix for games with game pass and it can deliver to all the people at various levels of quality or buy and you don't have to, you don't have to find an Xbox. You don't have to like do the blood sport of finding an Xbox online. Like that's wild. And I like they're getting their way first but I think that's where the whole industry is going. You've seen the attempts to disrupt the console model. Stadia, like what is that? What is Luna or whatever Amazon has? And Microsoft is like, we actually are just going to do it well now. And like, I don't know what's going to happen to Stadia. The big question is like Sony, because Sony doesn't have their own cloud. I mean, they have a cloud gaming service. It's actually run by Microsoft. And they didn't even know that Microsoft was going to be running it until they found like 
those deals were all made. And then they're like, oh, our cloud gaming is run by our chief competitor. Cool, 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 cool. But they're, they're, they're stuck way behind now, right? Like, how, how do they get there? Because they're not Nintendo. Like, Nintendo is always going to have a really strong console business. It doesn't care about cloud gaming. Its audience is very different. How its audience plays, interacts with these things. Microsoft and Sony are neck and neck for the most part, usually. And now, like, a kid can say, hey, mom, I want to play Halo. I need, like, can you download this on the TV? Boom. Versus the other kid who's like, hey, mom, I want to play I don't. What's what's a Sony game that's appropriate for a child? <laughs> There's no Sony games that are appropriate. <laughs> yeah. for um, no, I feel you. It, but they're both going there, right? Like they're both going there. Just Microsoft got there so much faster, yeah. and that could be a big change for them. They've they've historically been behind Sony in the last couple of console generations, like just in sales, in uses. People people will buy it to play Halo and that's about it. And now like there's a lot of other games that it supports that you can just go play. And you don't have to go spend five hundred dollars to find a PS5 to play on your TV that can't even support all the cool stuff that it does. Like we'll see. I just think it's fascinating that this Donald didn't come out. Because that's the real it's like it's just on Samsung TVs. That's, it's very, it's a very yeah. small, and it's only on a subset of Samsung TVs. So, like, there's a reason it's on the light air on. It could be earth-shattering news, but it definitely isn't. When right? the dongle like, happens. Yeah, it's like when when there's, like, a cheap Xbox device, or it comes to lots and lots of TVs, or, heaven forbid, the Apple TV, which will, that will never happen. I think you could probably get it now on a lot of the Android TVs if you, like, messed around with it. Well, it's on Samsung TVs, which runs Tizen. Yeah, but you can get, like, like you can get the cloud program now. Kind of on some Android. Oh, you can get like the APK from Android to an Android TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's you can not, do a lot that, of like backend. That's very Alex Kranz. Like that's that's like you like you're in the Shield forums. Like. Me and Sean, <laughs> me and Sean playing on our Android TVs. Suck it, the rest of y'all. All right, that's a great place to end this episode. Uh, <laughs> Kranz has to go reboot her Nvidia Shield so she can run pirate <laughs> Xbox games on it. We've gone way over. I think you were listening. 500 episodes. We had to go over. And it was a good one. Woo. Some stuff to promo. Like I said, we're going to re- be rebooting the show in the next few weeks. Look forward to that. It was NFT week on The Verge, the background of all this. You know, NFTs had a big rise and fall. Great special issue. We have some interviews with artists who feel like they got ripped off. We have some rise and fall of the NFT marketplaces stuff. We've got a copyright explainer, which makes me very happy. It's very complicated. It's very good. Uh, Decoder this week was Zoe Schiffer talking about unions at Apple. That's a really fun episode. We did like a union explainer kind of thing because it's so complicated. We want to like give people the basics. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. David's at Pierce. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Yeah. 500 episodes. We did it, y'all. Rock and roll. Woohoo. Thanks for listening to this week's show. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecastattheverge.com. And if you liked the show, share it with a friend. Vergecast is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. That's it. We'll see you next week.